You wouldn't be wrong for thinking that this season of Formula 1 has been particularly full of surprises, but looking at the events of last week, it seems we're only just getting started. Let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's got it to Max Verstappen, and under braking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish, adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. After Lewis Hamilton finished first and Valtteri Bottas second at the Imola Grand Prix, this means that Mercedes Patronus have won the Constructors' Championship again for the seventh time in a row. Another record has been broken by the Silver Arrows. Guys, what do we think about this? This unbridled success by Mercedes once more. I must admit, it, it really demonstrates their absolute dominance when... In terms of the number of points, you've got Mercedes who are happily sitting on 479 with Red Bull on 226. And before this point, it was one of those cases of it being mathematically possible, which as a phrase, I always love because essentially it means eh, they're going to win. Because the only chance Mercedes weren't going to win this is if they just decided not to turn up to the rest of the races, which in fairness they could do now. And still win which is great i mean that's what winning is fantastic uh i think it's been a season of predictability in the constructors and drivers championship with the individual races elaborating and expanding the sport more than the season as a whole when you identify the little bits of fun that we've had so far it makes the season look really good especially when we've had people like Pierre Gasly winning. Unfortunately, on the flip side of that, the reason why many of these races, such as Barcelona, have sort of left my mind and not left an impression on me is by the fact that it has been Hamilton and or Bottas winning. And even then, not really so much Bottas. And I feel like Bottas has been a bit unlucky. So... I think we all knew going into this that it was going to be a Mercedes-dominated year, just like how I'll probably be here in 12 months saying the same thing about the 2021 season. I just hope it's better circumstances. But I think this will definitely be a year to, to get people to look at specific races and maybe to say, well, don't necessarily look at the season as a whole because it's not particularly interesting. Because we, we knew this was going to happen. But yeah, not taking it away from Mercedes. It's an incredibly impressive feat of engineering to win seven consecutive driver championships in a row. And I just hope it doesn't get beaten is all I'm saying for the sake of the sport. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal achievement really to win seven constructors championships in a row. They often say, I've heard it said in Formula 1 before, to win one championship is like incredible you'll get dry you'll get for example you get drivers who win one championship in their career think ones come straight to my head maybe jensen button that's the one the most recent one who's won or maybe nico rosberg who've won just one championship and there's the absolute pinnacle of their life and they weren't able to go on and replicate that success or in rosberg's case he felt he wasn't able to but to be able to from a team perspective, be able to win the first championship in 2014 and then go for another and another and another and keep on going for seven years in a row. And also to have 
not only win seven in a row, but to win seven in a row so convincingly, to have a car so dominant every single year. There was a couple of years, a few years ago, where when the new sort of wider cars with new regulations came in in 2017, and Ferrari were a, a competition for Mercedes. But in, in other than those first two years, in the other five years, Mercedes have just absolutely ran the field ragged. I saw a stat earlier which said that I think in this has been 134 races in Mercedes' seven championship-winning seasons so far, and they've won 100 of those races. 100 out of 134. That's wow. Like, uh, yeah, that's something like 70, I think it's 74%. To have that amount of dominance, to keep on exhibiting those high standards for seven straight years without dropping the ball, without letting their guard down, it's just... It's it's honestly incredible, and it is realistic to say they could have eight next year. And who's mm-hmm. and who's to say that? I mean, obviously, we hope that the rule changes in twenty twenty two will spice up the field. But at the end of the day, the team with the most resources and with the best team behind them are Mercedes. So who would you wouldn't put it past them to get nine in a row? Maybe it sounds depressing to say so, but they're just. I know. I know. I know. Between now and then, they might possibly have. I mean, Lewis Hamilton might not be there. Um, Toto Wolff is rumoured to be stepping back into a sort of a more advisory role. So, and it's definitely it cannot be underestimated how crucial he is to the success of that team in that leadership role. Um, but still, the the foundations are there in the team across the whole team for just a phenomenal like working environment, which has enabled them to reach the levels they have right now. And you wouldn't put it past them to keep on reaching those levels, which is crazy to think so, considering they've they've done seven. You think a lot a lot of sporting greats might reach this level they might reach seven straight championships and something and think well i can't go any further than this but mercedes just seem to have this hunger this desire just to keep going i wouldn't put it past them to keep this run going honestly you know when you're saying and another and another and another (laughs) kind of remind me of people in a pub and i think it might be quite a good analogy really especially (laughs) if you if you you replace championship wins with pints of guinness like one (laughs) or two pretty good Three or four, who asked quite a lot. By the time you get to seven, you think, my goodness, you're basically 90% bread now. Because yeah. each each pint is effectively a meal. Mm. I, I mm. think it's 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 incredible. It really is that they keep going. And it's interesting you highlighted Toto Wolf there. What do you think, Tom? Do you think Toto will step down? I think he's definitely going to be stepping back. Uh, I can understand why Toto's willing to take on a more advisory role and not be uh, sort of the man of the hour in terms of Mercedes because he's done it so well for so long. And ultimately, I'm I'm sure with him, there's other things he wants to be doing in a sort of personal and professional basis. So I can understand why Toto's wanting to take a step back. I don't think it'll be immediate. I think you'll see more of a sort of phasing out where you'll just see less and less of him until ultimately his role is taken up by somebody else but I don't really understand all this talk about Hamilton uh, stating that he's not too sure if he's going to carry on with Mercedes first of all because we know that the car is basically in essence going to be the same for next season i.e the best by if we're looking at Mercedes compared to Red Bull there's a gap of 253 so that's just insane there is no competition there and why you do that as well looking at the fact that Lewis Hamilton is going to equal uh, or trying to equal Michael Schumacher's record of seven drivers championships I don't understand I mean it could all well be sort of silly season talk and 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 paper talk and simply rumors but surely you'd want to tie yourself down as quickly as possible to this awesome brutally efficient machine which has winning in its DNA I mean seven 
we could get to a point where Mercedes could win the Constructors' Championship for an entire decade. I mean, how is that Please even possible? Please don't say that. Please don't say that. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's entirely plausible, isn't it? I mean, next season, it's likely they're going to win. I mean, the regulations come in, but sure, I don't think the regulations are going to have an instant impact. So I can imagine Mercedes will be up there for the season after. Oh. And then what happens in that season after that? Like... Red Bull, they've got their problems in terms of engine providers. They wanted engine freeze. Ferrari just can't organise, you know, the proverbial. Um, so I, it, it could well happen. And why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? That's all I'm saying. Well, yeah, but I do remember when McLaren were really dominant and people were saying, what's Hamilton doing leaving McLaren? It's McLaren's never going to lose their dominance soon. And then, of course, the disaster with McLaren occurred. So I think there will be an end to the Mercedes dominance simply because people move on. Engineers move on, new designers come in, sparks of brilliance here and there. A good example of that is the F-duct, which was a human-operated aerodynamic stalling device, which is a great little thing. If, you, if you're interested now, pause the podcast, go take a look at the F-duct. It was a great piece of like getting around the rules. Um, and you know, These little ideas that come in and put cars other cars ahead and i think i'm optimistic that in 10 years someone can come up with a way to take the trophy away from mercedes because it would be so nice to see other drivers on the podium and other constructors taking the championship just a little bit more of a, of a fight and it's a shame that we're just currently seeing the fight in the midfield but you're right tom i i, I don't see hamilton moving away not in the next year perhaps when the new rules come in he might well He's 35 years old. He might want to do something else for a bit. I suppose maybe he could be getting bored of the sport. Mm, I don't know. I feel. Yes, it well. He he seems. He seems incredibly driven still. I'd say the fact that he's still at the top. Like by the age of 35, a lot of F1 drivers they've sort of dropped down a bit, if they're even still there in the sport. But he seems to be as good as ever. He's got that same trait, which I think. I feel like Alonso had when he was um, in his sport a few years ago. He was like 36, 37 and still wringing the neck of that that awful McLaren and still getting the best out of it. Just like I'd say Hamilton at the moment is getting the best out of the Mercedes. Um, or maybe, I guess, Michael Schumacher also had the same later on in his career. So I'd say, I'd say his hunger is still there, but you just you just never know what might what might like affect his sort of his vision or his like future sort of what he has future plans. I mean, if we talk about his plans outside of F1, he has his own clothing brand with Tommy Hilfiger. He's writes, he's been doing his own music. He's been, he's on a song with, fun fact, he's on a song with Christina Aguilera a couple of years back. He's also been very vocal in the, the anti-racism campaign, both inside and outside of Formula One. So he has interest outside the sport. And I could, I could feasibly see him, Maybe not next, not not right now, but maybe at some point, just taking a step back, just to focus on stuff outside of F one, especially if he feels like he's achieved it all in the sport. In terms of and going back to the point about the regulation change, I mean, yeah, Mercedes could they could feasibly win the championship for a whole decade, the span of a decade. But I feel like these regulations will change things up. Like over the course of history in F one, big regulation changes do create like changes in the pecking order. Think back to the most recent one when the hybrid engines came in. Think how Red Bull were dominant before that and they suddenly dropped to still like the second or third best team, but they dropped well off the pace. 
if you think how Ferrari were up there, but they dropped into a midfield team. Mercedes came up. Um, think as well how Williams were right at the back of the grid, and all of a sudden they had the third fastest car. So I feel like those regulation changes would definitely have a good chance of no, maybe not stopping Mercedes, but stunting them, I'd say. So I'm optimistic that after next year, we'd see a different uh, pecking order to that that is currently there. I liked your example of Williams. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, re- I remember when, yeah, because they had, they were dreadful the year before. And then they, well, admittedly, they got a Mercedes engine, but they had, they built a better car and were in the top three teams. So, How I mean, you, you, ne- you, ne- you never know. Mm. Yeah, they could, you never know. They could go the same way in 2022 i mean it's not out of the, the realm's possibility you we'll go back to mercedes they were a midfield team massively midfield and then it was Toto wolf who brought them up so yeah i just find it remarkable though how mercedes have had this dominance uh, even sort of last year if we're looking at the sort of battle between ferrari and mercedes objectively ferrari had the best car but didn't win the championship mercedes were still able to do so so for that reason alone and looking at their sort of dominance, which has spanned seven years now, I don't think we can really compare Mercedes to any other constructors' championship of this generation. I mean, sure, Red Bull had their time with, what was it, four or five? Uh, with Vettel, and they were up there for an extended period of time. But the fact that Mercedes just never put a foot wrong in terms of designing cars, in terms of pit stops, in terms of strategy, I, I just think to myself, it's going to have to take a lot um, in terms of regulation, in terms of improvement from different constructors to knock them off that perch. Because it, it's just a different level that they've got to, and they're just a different breed compared to other teams, I think, that have, that have come before them. Yeah, I suppose a different breed, as, as, that's really tricky because arguably part of the reason why Schumacher was so successful was he wasn't actually driving a car that was dominant. It was his success. And perhaps what Bottas has demonstrated is, as the rest of the pack's caught up, is actually Hamilton's own talent that's, yeah, has has given him the required thrust to get him over the first, you know, get him into that first place position. And if Mercedes, if Mercedes had another driver, would would they have had the same success? I don't think they would have, you know. And I think Red Bull is perhaps a good example of how having a great driver can bring successes, but a mediocre driver, sorry, album, won't necessarily bring success to the team. So, I mean, um, what do you think? Do you think I'm onto something here that actually it is Hamilton that's driven the success this year as Bottas has not necessarily been incredible? Or is it the, the, the car? Because I believe at one point it was basically just the car because it was so good. And we know how good the Mercedes was because Williams was still dominant, was still sort of getting podiums. That engine was amazing. I would say it's almost like so. For the so, if you divide it up into three periods over the time they've won their championships, the first three years when Hamilton got two championships and then Rosberg's got his championship, it's almost like since Rosberg beat Hamilton to that title in 2016, it's like Hamilton's gone up a level since then. That's what I feel has happened. I mean, especially in the years of 2017, 2018, when Ferrari were closer and Sebastian Vettel arguably should have wrapped up the championship in one or two of those years, um, especially in 2018 when the car was faster. But I feel like Hamilton got through the period where he was beaten by Rosberg, the championship, came out of that stronger, came through the period when uh, he had a, a real competitive rival in the Ferrari and Vettel. And that's almost the fact he's managed to get through that adversity 
has almost demoralized his rivals and now that the car is a bit better than the rest he's just absolutely destroyed like the rest of the field i've read i've read like articles as well in, in the past couple of years of talking about mercedes success and like every like every person that was interviewed whether that would be the chief strategist at mercedes the engineers um the engine designers they all speak about how hamilton is like you wouldn't think has hamilton got a bit of a reputation early in his career for being like super fast but not necessarily a great technical brain but if you speak if you read interviews speaking to these engineers they say like that's not the truth at all but in fact he he has a he's has an exceptional engineering brain also the fact that he's very good with the, like detecting the feel of the car so that makes his feedback like actually quite pointed and quite um sort of able to get to the point so I'd say that he definitely has to take a lot of credit for the success of this team and the fact that, yeah, I mean, the, you, you've got to be doing something right. If Even if your car is super dominant, like it has been at various points in the last seven years, you've got to be doing something right if you've racked up 93 race wins and counting, to be honest. While the battle for the Constructors' Championship is over, Mercedes have won, the battle for third place between McLaren and Renault is far from over. Angus, what can you tell us? Like you said, the Constructors' Championship has now been wrapped up by Mercedes. So our focus has to turn, in terms of the real battle in the Constructors' Championship, to the battle for third. A battle which is, in, is ridiculously tight. It's actually, I'll read out the numbers. So Renault, after the 13 of the 17 races, they have 135 points and they're sitting in third. In fourth, on 134 points, are McLaren. And in fifth, with 134 points as well, our racing point. McLaren and Racing Point only separated by the fact that uh, McLaren have had a higher finish this season. Carlos Sainz got their highest finish, which was second at Monza, whilst Racing Point's highest finish was third for Stroll at Monza. So, like I said, you can tell from just, just from that, there's only one point between the three teams. Um, in a battle which has been ebbing and flowing throughout the season, really, um, McLaren kind of started off the season as the team with the pace advantage. This was reflected in the early running, with them getting third and fifth in Austria. Uh, that memorable podium, first podium for Lando Norris, of course, in the Austrian Grand Prix. Racing Point also, I mean, we, we've talked before about the whole, the car being named the pink Mercedes. That was because the car has had, throughout the season generally, a lot of pace, a lot of race pace. But, but at various points, they haven't been able to take advantage of that necessarily. For example, Lance Stroll having sort of his shortcomings as the as the second driver uh, kind of exposed in the last few races, especially some poor races. For example, at Imola, he uh, t took off his front wing on the first lap, dropped to last and never really recovered from it. As mentioned, he also almost ran over his front uh, mechanic, which was not which was fun to see. But anyway, racing points also, we, lest we forget, it seems such a long time ago now, but they got a 15 point deduction for their sort of the similarities in brake ducts between their car and the Mercedes car. Now, based on the fact there's one point between the three teams, without that deduction, Racing Point would be just a bit more in the clear. Um, so that, like, that could definitely be a factor that possibly costs them towards the end of the season. In terms of recent form, if you look at the last couple of races, Renault have, have definitely been the one who sort of come up quite strong in the last few races. Daniel Ricciardo got two podiums in the last three races, got one at the Nürburgring, and then again at the weekend at Imola, taking a, an opportunistic third place, I'd say, taking advantage of mistakes by, well, you, well, I say mistakes, Verstappen's tyre blowing out wasn't necessarily his fault. You could argue that the team misjudged the strategy and meant that he, and that meant that he ran all the tyres too long. But because of that, and also because of Sergio Perez being in 
a third, being in third place after that, but then Racing Point inexplicably deciding to pit him onto the soft tyre with 10 laps to go under a safety car on a circuit where it's difficult to overtake and they knew he'd drop at least three or four places with the risk of those people not pitting. And lo and behold, they didn't pit and Perez dropped down to sixth and that was his chance for podium gone. So the fact that Ricardo managed to take the podium is definitely opportunistic, but the fact of the matter is Renault's form has been on the up in the last few races and that's what's enabled them to jump into third at the moment. McLaren, though, in the last few races, their form has definitely gone down a bit. Um, they haven't got, they've only got one top five finish between their two drivers in the last five races. Um, there's been a noticeable drop in performance. They're more pessimistic in their press conferences, saying how oh, we're fighting for points this weekend. And at Imola, that, that was the realistic truth. They were only just, for context, they were only just ahead of uh, George Russell, who was running in the points in his Williams at one stage. So McLaren, you'd say, definitely have a bit of a fight to uh, keep try and maintain that third place. Um, racing points, like I said, they managed to throw away a certain podium on the weekend. Um, and if they want to get back to that third place, then Lance Stroll definitely needs to definitely needs to up his game as well. In terms of because so in terms of who has the sort of the best chance of getting third with four races left, we got four three circuits to go to. So we have got Istanbul, Bahrain, and Abu Dhabi. It's, I would say it's quite difficult to say what car performance or what they might bring in terms of car performance for those three. I'd probably say that Renault maybe have the best chance. They've generally been the stronger of the of the three teams. And if you look at the three teams there, Daniel Ricciardo is, in my opinion, the strongest driver from any of those three teams. I'd say Sergio Perez definitely runs him close, but Daniel Ricciardo is a proven race winner at the top level in Formula 1. And you can definitely tell that at the moment by the results he's getting out of the car i can see here that he's got as well as those podiums he's got three other top five finishes in the four races before that so he's just he's hoovering up those points at the moment for renault um but i mean at the same time you should never rule out mclaren in carlos science and lando norris they've got two very strong drivers and then with racing point their car performance is is very very good still and sergio perez is one of the best drivers in the grid at getting the most life out of his tires and being able to fight through that midfield so I definitely wouldn't, and and Lance Stroll may he's gone through a rough patch, but that could lead to possibly a an improvement in performance and a sort of an, an upturn in in results for him. So the battle for third place is definitely not over. Could for sure get down to the last race. Every point will matter. I wanted to, you guys to give your predictions, but I know it's difficult with four races to go. Who do you think will finish in third in the constructors' championship? after these four races. My prediction, I'd say, is that Renault might just nick it because Daniel Ricciardo is performing very strongly. And also, if Esteban Ocon gets a bit more luck on his side, then I'd say, because their pace advantage at the moment, it's looking good for Renault. Yeah, my money would also be on Renault because of Daniel Ricciardo. He is the French team's ace in the hole. He has been doing so well in, let's say... Well, Renault's got a good car, but it's no better than, I'd say, Racing Point or McLaren. But to get two podiums as well as three fourth places this season is quite remarkable. And we all had question marks over why Daniel Ricciardo left Red Bull to go to Renault. But he's showing now that this this move, this decision wasn't completely dumbfounded or or without reason. He's been doing so well. He's been able to engineer himself a move to McLaren. I mean, 
is there necessarily an upshot from him going from Renault to McLaren? I mean, at the moment, Renault have the better car, I'd say, compared to McLaren. Looking at how they've been doing recently, they started off so well this season, but you know, 7th, 6th, 5th for Carlos Sainz, 8th, 13th in a retirement, looking at the last three races for Lando Norris. It's not been great, which is really disappointing seeing how well they did do and how well they can do and how talented both the drivers are. So it seems to me that Renault were very much, you know, looking upwards on the upward trajectory. As you say, Esteban Ocon has had bad luck, retired four times, and I think looking at where he is in the Drivers' Championship, that's not a fair reflection of his quality and ability. But when you've got third places um, coming in, you know, two from three races, a remarkable achievement. Uh, and comparing Renault and Daniel Ricciardo to uh, Racing Point, I mean, as we as we've said multiple times, as we know, Perez is an exceptional driver, but Lance Stroll just isn't the team that you want to get your team into third place because, well, frankly, he's not good enough. We've said this before, and, you know, all jokes aside, he's not good enough as a teammate to drag that team up above uh, Renault, McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz, and drivers of that ilk. So for that reason, because of the form and because of sort of wavering uh, form at that of, of McLaren and let's just say the, the imbalance of, of quality at Racing Point, it's clear to me that it will go to Renault. And I'd be rather surprised looking at the last three races and looking at how well these drivers have done if it doesn't go to Renault. It's theirs to lose, I'd say, regardless of how close it is because they've gained so much. Uh, this should have really been Racing Points or McLaren's in the bag from the get-go, looking at the quality of the car in isolation. But as we say, it's not all about that. It's about the human element and the drivers that are that come with that. So when it comes to who's going to actually get the third place, I would like McLaren to, because I'm a McLaren fan. I would like Renault to, because I think it'd be nice for Renault's own morale, especially as they're perhaps thinking about leaving the sport as they transition to Alpine, perhaps it'd be easier for them to sell it. And Racing Point can stay in fifth, in my head. Um, I really mind that one too much. I think it'd be <laughs> hilarious, though, that a team that copied last year's Mercedes comes in fifth. For me, it's a bit like, imagine Angus and Tom, I invited you round to my house, and I cooked you a meal, and I sat you in front of the same tables as the Ritz. You ate from the same knives and forks and plates as the Ritz. You even drank the same wine out of the same glasses at the Ritz but it wouldn't be the Ritz would it because there is more to the Ritz than the physical things there is more to Mercedes than is just the car there is the behind the the scenes knowledge of why everything does what there is the service and the the, the impeccable attention to detail that the team provides in a way that's very Germanic and so I think Racing Point's been a brilliant experiment, actually. At the beginning, I was a little worried that Racing Point were going to manage to come in second, and that would be atrocious, especially when other teams work so hard to be there. But the fact that they are lingering, making lots of mistakes, in and they're now in fifth, I think demonstrates where the problems in Racing Point perhaps lie the most, especially as when you look at someone like Lance Stroll, yes, he's been, he actually sat out of two races. However, he has scored zero points in the last five races, and the ones he did race in, he didn't score any points either through silly mistakes. So 
I think it's really anyone's game who's going to win between Renault and McLaren. And I don't really have any preference either. I think I think in my head, McLaren's going to get it because I think Sainz and Norris are the better dual talent. And remember in the Constructors, it's all about two good drivers. Whereas I think for Renault, although Ocon I like and he's a good driver and Ricardo is definitely one of the best drivers on the on the grid in my opinion i think the young spirit from norris and science's sort of developed talent are actually going to put mclaren ahead of renault and i'm pretty happy with that i think and quite a nice surprise now speaking of nice surprises let's i think also move on to talk about daniel kvyat uh, last weekend, da- Daniel Kvyat decided now was the time that he was going to try and prove himself. And to determine why his race was actually quite spectacular by the end of it, I want to give you a rundown of how the Alpha Tori has done in qualifying. Now, Pierre Gasly had managed to break through the second row of the grid and was starting in fourth position. And Daniel Kvyat had, in comparison, only managed to get himself into P8. So, uh, Alpha Tauri, although having high hopes for yet another double points finish, they were, let's face it, pinning their hopes on Gasly once again to bring home the glory, as I think many of us were as well. However, like often happens in Formula 1 races, the actual race would not reflect qualifying, and on lap 8, a cooling issue forced Alpha Tauri to retire Gasly's car in order to prevent the engine from exploding, which in my opinion, is a pretty fair call. Meanwhile, Kvyat hadn't been doing so well and he had dropped back to 8th, making two places up during the pit stop window and whilst he was in 6th, the team put him on the hard compound tyres, allowing him to have a lovely long stint on those hard tyres from lap 14 onwards. And it turns out Kvyat actually really liked those tyres as he was able to catch up with Alex Albon, who, let's not forget, drives the Red Bull. However, the real breakthrough for Kvyat was the safety car on lap 55, right at the end of the race. AlphaTauri put Kvyat on the soft tyres and once the race got going, he successfully overtook Perez and Albon. And not that much long later, he actually got past Leclerc in the Ferrari for P4. He was going so fast that by the end of the chequered flag, he was less than a second behind Ricardo. And I have little doubt that if the safety car had come in earlier and the same result had happened, Ricardo and Kvyat would have had a great battle. And who knows, it could have been another podium for the AlphaTauri car. But alas, that didn't happen. And although we got an alternative Daniel on the podium with Ricardo coming in third, as I mentioned earlier, it was nice to see a driver who had been demoted and trodden on by the Red Bull team yet again demonstrate that there is actually a spark there. It's just a shame that, according to Helmut Marco, it won't be enough to save him in Formula 1. However, on that quote, I have seen people end it there, and that's not quite what he said. He said, it wouldn't be enough to save him in Formula 1, but it would be enough to save him in another racing sport. So, maybe Kvyat isn't done racing just yet, and I think that's quite nice. So, for me, it was a nice surprise seeing the Alvatari get up to P4, and I think it demonstrates, actually, 
how well the team has evolved and definitely in deserving of the title of being a sister car to the Red Bull team. So I kind of want to know what you guys think. As the Alpha Tauri is catching up to Ferrari, being it just 14 points behind, do you think Alpha Tauri is going to catch up? Do you think they're going to overtake Ferrari? And where do you think they're sort of finishing the in the championship? And has Daniel Kvyat saved himself in Alpha Tauri? Probably not. Probably not. No. Mm. Uh, that age-old question: Will Alpha Tauri beat Ferrari? I remember when that idea was first um, put on F1 in review, and um, to start with, many were sceptical about how realistic this could be. But we're seeing now; it's you know increasingly possible due to Gasly's great performances along with Kvyat's and the fact that while Leclerc is doing very well, Vettel just can't buy any luck or indeed points of any substance, which is a real shame. Um, So can it happen? We have, what, four races left? One would think there is a chance that AlphaTauri can beat Ferrari, but looking at how well Charles Leclerc has done with that goddamn awful Ferrari car this season... One would think it's less than 50% probability. I'd put it around, let's say 30. 30 or 40% would be the probability it would occur. Um, but regardless of that, this should be seen as a very good season for uh, Alpha Tauri. And I think as well for Daniel Kivia. I mean, I said last episode, I don't think his career is really going anywhere. And I do stand by that because I don't see him going to a team that's better than Alpha Tauri. But does that mean he's a bad driver or deserves to be replaced? I'm not convinced. I mean, he scored points um, six on six occasions this season, a uh, fourth place at uh, Imola, a remarkable achievement. And the question marks, as we say, still remain over what would happen to him and his seat. Will he be able to retain his seat at AlphaTauri? Um, well, the, the big question is who will replace him? Well, it's between um, Sonoda and Albon in my eyes. I don't think Sonoda's ready purely because he's been in F2 for, I believe, just a season. He isn't ropping away with the competition. And in my view, Kivian is better because of the experience that he brings. He's 26 years old. He's been with the AlphaTauri slash um, Toro Rosso family for a while. Also stepped up to Red Bull for a bit until that all horribly went wrong um but no i i do believe he's he's deserves a chance over Sonoda. however the question of albon albon is much younger than um kvyat and therefore the argument could be you put albon and gasly together as a team granted uh, alpha tauri are a sister team but the ability for those two to grow together away from the red bull spotlight is quite a sort of tempting and convincing argument so for me if Red Bull do decide to go for Sergio Perez or Hulkenberg and decide to dump Albon, which I think is increasingly likely, I think Kvyat should only give away, and I say looking at the realistic options, he should only give away for uh, Alexander Albon, um, but not for Sonoda because I think he's far better than him. Yeah, I'd say, well, in terms of the driver situation, I'd say I, I would, well, I think it's lo- it's looking likely that Albon will be ditched from Red Bull. However, I think it would be harsh to just completely just torpedo him out of Formula One altogether. The man is still young; he's only twenty three years old. Um, I mean, look at the way Gasly has managed to recover from the what must have been a massive 
like sting in the teeth to be able to, to be dumped by Red Bull in the way he was mid-season. So I'd say that there's definitely... If I was Red Bull, I'd put Albon in the second seat at Alpha Tauri. Gasly and Albon is a solid lineup. Um, two drivers who get a lot out of that car, um, both with experience in Formula 1, both with experience in the deep end at the Red Bull main team. Um, so I would say that would be a good lineup. At the same time, I can see why they would go... I, I mean, yes, you made Tom. You are right. Sonoda is very young. I've just looked it up. He was. Uh, he's only going to be if he was to start next season. He'd only be twenty years old at the start of the season. However, he came. He, well, he only came ninth in the Formula Three last year. Being third in his debut season in Formula Two this year, not bad. Not. I mean, not bad at all. He's doing better than uh, quite a few drivers. You'd say who are in multiple seasons in their in their um, Formula Two careers. So. I'd say it wouldn't necessarily be a massive risk for him to be put in the car, um, because even because having Gasly as the team leader would be a good, that's a good team leader to have alongside him. Um, I would personally put, uh, put Albon in there, but I can see why they might go with Sonoda. Um, we 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 talk about Sonoda and Albon like we're sort of disregarding Dan, Daniel Kvyat, but I've got to be honest, it does look like Kvyat's Formula One career is looking pretty bleak. Even despite this, like you said, Tristan, an amazing drive he had at the weekend. After what had potential to be an amazing day for AlphaTauri with Gasly uh, running up so high, but then his car failing on him. And then you thought maybe, okay, well, maybe not today. Maybe AlphaTauri won't have such a good day. And then Kvyat put an absolutely storming performance in the final laps. Almost got that podium. I was cheering him on for that podium, I can't lie. Um, was loving the possibility of seeing another different driver finish on the podium in 2020. Um, but despite this, I think it has come too late. I think Red Bull have already, or sorry, AlphaTauri have already made up their minds that he's not going to be in that car next year. Um, he sort of he just hasn't been anywhere near Gasly's level this year. Gasly's been the one hoovering up the points. Kvyat has been put in several poor performances. Has not. He's being outscored by sixty three points to twenty six, even despite Kvyat's uh, fourth place uh, last weekend. So. Whilst the performance from Kvyat himself was phenomenal at the weekend, it does, it has been a bit of a, it's a bit of a flash in the pan in terms of his overall performance this year. Whilst Gasly, consistently, you, I could name several good, amazing performances by Gasly this year, such as his win in Italy, coming fifth in Portugal the other race, uh, being able to get that fourth in qualifying in Imola, um, looking at his results as well, stuff like finishing seventh in at Silverstone in a in a car that maybe shouldn't have. Like shouldn't really have finished that high. So I think whilst Gasly's been consistent, Kvyat's Kvyat's performances have been a bit more. Well, well, I say a bit more, like not really at all that consistent. So whilst his performance was amazing at the weekend, I'd say the writing was already on the wall. And sadly, I think it's too little, too late for him to save his Formula One career. <laughs> it's a shame, really, isn't it, that he's got to this point because. Yeah, because he got replaced by Verstappen and has lingered into AlphaTauri and now he's... He, he's Why did he pick now to demonstrate that he's quite... He's got that flair? I don't mm. I don't get it. Or, or, or the worst conclusion is he's only good if everything happens to go exactly how he needed it to be to be good. Which is a mark of not such yeah. a good driver. The thing, the thing with Kvyat as well is, if you think about his career, whilst yes, he did enough to get into the Red Bull team in the first place, he was he was beaten by Ricardo, 
He then went back to Toro Rosso. It was beaten handsomely by Carlos Sainz. And then when Alex Albon came along in his first year, Albon, I wouldn't say that he didn't thrash him, but he had the measure of him, which is partly why he got promoted to the main team. And now Gasly's come back and Gasly is like rode all over him. So Kvyat, mm. over the course of his career, has been sort of beaten by multiple teammates. So maybe I can like I can see why Red Bull are thinking, well, maybe he's not like hasn't got any more potential anymore. And he's twenty six as well. He's definitely he's yeah. de- I mean he's definitely he's not past it. But if I mean based on Red Bull's strategy for basically training up drivers young and getting them sort of to achieve lots of success early in their career and going from there. He doesn't fit that mold because he's 26 and he hasn't really. He's got a couple of podiums, but he hasn't really hit the the heights that they expect. While Sonoda, for example, at the age of 20, has the chance to come in, get started early, and potentially see, and see how it goes and see if he can reach those heights. So I can see why Kvyat is perhaps no longer be considered. But I suppose the question is whether or not the problem that Alpha Tauri have is the fact that they've got. One driver who exceeds expectations and one driver who meets expectations. Because if mm. I said, where is does the Alpha Tauri deserve to come? In your head, Mercedes 1 and 2, Red Bull 3 and 4. Then you've got McLaren 5 and 6, Racing Point 7, 8. And then you start thinking about Alpha Tauri, right? So... Yeah. Perhaps mm. the problem that Daniel Kvyat's got is he is deserving to be in the Alpha Tauri team, but he's working in a situation where the Alpha Tauri team is currently punching a bit above his their weight, and he has just not got that that I don't know level of punchiness for for lack of, for lack of a better expression. And I think as well the sort of Red Bull Academy the entire empire shall we say as well as uh, alpha tauri needs stability right now it's been so often that they've just burned through young drivers and discarded them to the lower teams until they've got good then given them another go we're not just talking here about gasly and potentially albon but carlos signs as well that man was treated awfully. He was given a chance to be in Toro Rosso, but was never given more than that. He was loaned out to Renault largely because, well, they didn't want him in Toro Rosso and they had a, a partnership with Renault when they were the engine providers. And he was discarded like, like nothing, really. And here we go. He's going to Ferrari. So I think, really, what AlphaTauri need to do and Red Bull, all of the, all of the, the powers that be in this team, They need to take stock with the drivers they have in terms of Verstappen, um, Albon, Gasly and maybe Kvyat. But if you take out Kvyat and put uh, a new driver in, it has to be a more experienced one and it has to be in that Red Bull second seat. The worst thing they can do is bring in yet another driver into that equation, Sonoda, who's done well in F2 but still has a lot to learn in motorsport more generally. Burn him because he's not done so brilliantly with uh, Alpha Tauri, which is kind of inevitable. It's his first season in F1. It's, it happens to pretty much everyone. And then going, hmm, well, he's not great. So he can sit there in Alpha Tauri for a while. And then, yeah, his career's stilted. Um, he doesn't have those same prospects or he isn't viewed in the same way as he was if it had come in when he was more mature with a, a greater understanding and ability for when he's properly ready I think really Red Bull need to look in the mirror, the, the entire team need to look in the mirror and go hmm, we've been quite gung-ho and we've taken so many gambles and rushed uh, so many drivers 
that ultimately, sure, it's it's helped the cause in the fact that Red Bull are second, but the sort of individual effect it has on drivers' careers is substantial and could grow. Kvyat in another lifetime could have been a, a top-tier driver. I'm not saying a world champion, but he could certainly have been in the top 10 or top 5 uh, of the grid if given the right car and the right instruments and people around him. And sure, we've seen a rebound of Gasly, but who's to say Albon's going to come back uh, showing the form he did uh, at the back end of his first season in Formula One with Toro Rosso and uh, with Red Bull. It's a real danger, and I think really Red Bull need to just, just chill and take stock uh, moving into next season, especially considering the new regulations are coming in in 2022 and they can't really expect a a grand uh, shift or sort of earthquake in the constructors standings come next year because the tools are, are basically the same with small adjustments oh one thing by the way i saw and uh i can't really fit it into this podcast other than here so here's a bit of a juxtaposition but I, i've seen people cooing over russell's collision with a wall and <laughs> being annoyed with Stroll for not answering questions. And I'd like to gently remind the listeners, and perhaps ourselves too, that when Grosjean decided he fancied hitting a wall behind the safety car, everyone was mean to him. Mm. And when Raikkonen refused to answer any questions, he was treated as being really cool and detached. And I think it's important to to remind ourselves that the reaction that we had to Russell should be the same reaction we have to, to Grosjean. Russell was stupid to hit the wall and take a risk. As I said that when Grosjean hit the wall, it was it was a stupid risk to do. You never take risks behind a safety car and you decided to. And I think, you know, I was looking at people being really, really nice to, especially Grosjean being really nice to Russell on, on his Instagram. He was like, oh, I've been there, mate. You're going to be fine. You're going to get better. And it just reminded me that people were real dicks to Grosjean when he did it. And yeah, we can't hold drivers to different standards. Either they're all blithering fools who hit the wall and deserve to do it because they crash all the time. Or they're all people who made mistakes and will probably feel worse in it than anything anyone could possibly say to them. And also, drivers should really answer questions and not be rude. It doesn't matter who they are. It could be Hamilton, Grosjean, you know, whoever. I don't care. They should all answer questions and be nice reporters. No, there's no difference between being cool and edgy and just being a dick. Stroll was being a dick. Raikkonen was being a dick. It is very true, though. It is very true. Yeah. And it's a shame. Poor Russell. Is... I felt so bad. I felt so sad for him. Yeah. When he was 10th as well, wasn't <sighs> it? Just... It was, I knew, it, it was when it was when he didn't just hit the wall, but you could see the he was still on the accelerator, and so he didn't just hit the wall. He then decided to drive it across the wall as well, just to really, really fuck up the front. <laughs> yeah, just in case he thought it wasn't over, it was now. Yeah, it's oh, it's heartbreaking. And he also had a bit of a well, they called it. A, I don't know if you guys are aware of the when they said in commentary there was a hack in a moment because basically. About 20 years ago, in uh, I think Monza, Hakkinen was lead, Mika Hakkinen was leading the Italian Grand Prix, and he just dropped it. You know the first chicane at Monza. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. dropped it, come out of there, hit the wall. He was like miles out in the lead. He just he just fucked it, and then he like climbed over the fence, and the and the 
the helicopter caught him like sitting in the bushes, just crying into his helmet. Oh, and then and, and, and Russell Russell had a similar similar moment where he was just he was absolutely devastated and he just like sat there just this got like in, inconsolable thing is that when they're driving on the edge and they are driving on the edge it's so easy to make a mistake and mm. just the one time you don't take risks and you don't do anything out of the ordinary it's when you're sitting behind a safety car and it, because everything's wrong right when you're behind a safety car your, your tires are cold you're going slowly so the aero doesn't work very well your brakes are cooling down as well and Formula One cars are designed to be dry, be driven at 180 to 200, you know, 250 kilometers an hour. They're not designed to be going slowly. And unfortunately, Russell decided to get a bit of heat in the tires by punching the accelerator, and it just whipped round, and that was it. And it was just, it was just. Mm. I was looking at, it, I was like, oh no, just. The thing is, drivers like, well, all of them really, they're going to take risks. And nine times out of ten, it may come off, and it's like, oh, what a great move! So insightful! What a great driver! And the ability they have is is unquestionable. And then the times that they get it wrong, it's like, oh, what were they thinking? Why do they go for that move? It's just, as you say, because it's so tense and everything's on edge between sort of success and failure. The the consequences are great for when it goes wrong, but they're awesome for when they go right. And it's just the gamble yep. they have to take every race, every corner at some point. Now, I'm talking about a team that has, in many people's eyes, made mistakes. Alfa Romeo, it's been an incredibly successful and eventful week for the Alfa Romeo team. On the 29th of October, Alfa Romeo announced they'd be extending their current partnership with Salva for the 2021 season and that the Alfa Romeo name would remain in the sport for next season at least. Uh, a day later, the team announced they would be retaining their current driver lineup of Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi for the third consecutive season uh, for 2021. They have said they wanted commitment and continuity, something they've definitely achieved considering this will be Raikkonen's 19th season in Formula 1. Now, interestingly, due to Ferrari and Alfa Romeo's partnership, where Ferrari provides both power units and engines to Alfa Romeo, Ferrari legally and contractually have the right to decide who sits in the second Alfa Romeo seat every season. And they've decided to go for Giovinazzi to keep him for another season, ahead of other junior drivers in the Ferrari Academy, such as Callum Eilat, Robert Schwartzman, and of course, Mick Schumacher, who are all currently racing in Formula 2. Now, this is particularly interesting considering Alfa Romeo is the second best Ferrari-powered car on the grid, ahead of Haas, and is effectively Ferrari's B team for this season and probably next. So by my calculations, the 26-year-old Italian driver of Antonio Giovinazzi is first in line to replace either Leclerc or Carlos Sainz on a race weekend if either of these current drivers for 2021 are unavailable for the race. So, what do we all think about this? Have Alfa Romeo made the right decision to keep Raikkonen and Giovinazzi for another season? Especially after Raikkonen and Giovinazzi were able to climb from 18th and 20th to 9th and 10th at Imola last weekend. Whilst the race result from the weekend, may, you may think, oh, 
they've made the right decision. They've got ninth and tenth. That's three points for that for that team. Alfa Romeo have only got eight points all season, and three of them were in last Sunday's race. So you may think, hang on, that's that's a that's a good decision. That's justified it. But at the same time, if you think of like that that race, if you think of all the drivers that um like were out of the race before the point where they were able to get points. Um, drivers like you had Verstappen, of course, had tyre blowouts. Uh, Esteban Ocon had a poor race and he could have gotten the points. Pierre Gasly, of course, was running in fourth before his uh, for his engine had a problem. Alex Albon was in the points and spun out. George Russell running in the points ahead of the Alphas uh, before crashing out. So I think it's a bit, whilst points, of course, is great for Alfa Romeo and it's fantastic they managed to achieve that, you've got to take into account the mitigating factors that meant that that enabled them to get to that point. In terms of the driver decision, I, I've said it in our in our group chat, it's it's so vanilla. It's just so they could have spiced it up. They could have gone for a junior driver or two. They could have maybe taken in if they wanted experience, brought in a new driver such as Perez or Hulkenberg or someone like that. And whilst it is great to see Kimi Raikkonen still on the grid, um he brings a lot of charisma in well, charisma in, in a different way to the to the F1 paddock, um, and he's still he's still got ta- he's forty one, but he's still clearly got talent. Although I still I th- I said this a few weeks ago, I'm amazed that he still has fire in his belly to be able to want to race around in like fifteenth, sixteenth place for about two hours on a Sunday um, every couple of weeks. Um, I mean, yeah, four on cars, I'm sure they're pretty great to drive, but I mean, w- would he not want to be fighting for something to want to continue? Um, he's now got the most races in F1 history. He's now competed in that, got that milestone. I just, I, I wonder what his motivation is. I mean, I don't know the bloke, of course. So he maybe something else which I have no idea about. But I'm his motivation. I mean, fair play that he wants to keep on driving because, because he's he's just tottering around at the back of the field most of the time. In terms of Giovinazzi, I mean, I saw an I saw an argument somewhere online that. They they have they want to keep Giovinazzi because just in case something happened to the Ferrari drivers, so let's say next year Charles Leclerc or Carlos Sainz um, weren't available to race, they'd want to put like what happens is the Alfa Romeo driver is effectively the reserve driver for Ferrari, so they would want someone kind of experienced to put in that second car in case there was a mishap. And the, I guess and the the argument would be they'd rather have Giovinazzi than a rookie in Schumacher or Eilat or Schwartzman. But at the same time, I don't think Giovinazzi's done much to justify keeping his seat. I mean, he's struggling to beat a 41-year-old in the same car. I mean, yes, the 41-year-old is quite good, but still, the 41-year-old has also passed his peak. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just not convinced by Giovinazzi. I, could, I can maybe see why they kept on Raikkonen, because, you know, he's very experienced and... He's a good. He could be a good mentor to any young driver, but still, I think Alfa Romeo. It, they could. They could have switched up a bit. They could have taken a gamble on a Ferrari Junior. Would have made it more a lot more interesting, in my opinion. But I'm sure they. Ha- I'm sure they have their reasons, and stability. I'm sure is one of them. So I mean, if and I guess you in many cases you can't argue with stability. So yeah, I mean, I just I guess their decision it might work out. You never know. I don't think I can add anything to that. I think you, I think you did a, a brilliant summary of, of everything there is basically to say on the topic. Other Thank you. than my own slight deviation, which is that there is no data that 
Alfa, Alfa Romeo will sort of get from this. And there's nothing that Giovinazzi is going to get out of this either. Giovinazzi, I don't know. It's really tricky because I like Raikkonen, but my goodness, he just needs to leave the sport because it's his time. And he's just in the way for other drivers now. I said this on a couple of podcasts ago. He is in the way of other drivers. There's plenty of fresh talent coming in. He's had a great run, and I'm glad he's enjoying himself. And the only thing I can imagine that Alfa Romeo are keeping these two drivers there to do is as sort of test drivers for the upcoming changes. They know that they've got a consistent driver, as you say, in, in Raikkonen, and Giovinazzi is, is fine. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really have much to say other than the fact that I think the Giovinazzi probably can retain his seat because he's young and developing and Raikkonen shouldn't retain his seat because he's old and only doing this for a hobby and for some of these young people they want this to be their career and there is nothing more depressing than trying desperately to to do something that hardly anyone on this earth can do and the guy standing in your way is just like yeah it's just a hobby for me I can quit whenever I want it's not a legacy that I'd want to be leaving, that's all I'd say. And so ends episode 17 of F1 in Review. Thank you once again for listening all the way to the end of this episode. Uh, an episode full of surprises which uh, may flourish or may not. First of all, we spoke about Mercedes. They have won seven Constructors' Championships on the trot consecutively. But is Lewis Hamilton and or Toto Wolff about to leave this awesomely successful Silver Arrows team? That's what we discussed. Secondly, we spoke about the battle for third place. It is incredibly tight between three teams. Only one point separates them. It's between Racing Point as well as McLaren. Four races left. Which one, which team will be able to take the bronze medal? Because first is gone and so is second. And thirdly, we spoke about Daniel Kvyat and Alpha Tari. The future of the Russian is still uncertain. Rumours going around he will be replaced by Sonoda, Albon, Hulkenberg, Perez, all these names floating around. But regardless of the off-the-track noise, he was able to come back and silence the sceptics for at least one weekend or two by getting a fourth place at Imola. And finally, we spoke about Alfa Romeo. We know that their partnership with Sauber will be continuing for another year, as well as their driver lineup. Kimi Raikkonen, the 42-year-old, as he will soon become, as well as the Italian 26-year-old Antonio Giovinazzi, will line up together for the third season in a row as Alfa Romeo drivers. Let's put it this way, the three of us, myself, Tristan and Angus, not too happy with that decision. Feel it's stifling uh, the younger drivers that are coming up. And we're sure that if Liv was here, she would very much agree with us because of our love for F2 drivers. And that's all of the topics for today. Thank you very much for listening to F1 in Review, episode 17. And we'll be back next week discussing all things Formula One. No racing, I believe, right? No racing, no. No racing. We'll find topics anyway. Until next time, thank you for listening. Only four left. Four left until names like Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen are no longer in the sport. Bit of sad, really. Especially Roman Grosjean, as remember back in Lotus was incredible. Uh, Favorite team of all time. Been at Haas for five years, man. That's mad. Five years.
That's just crazy. Half a decade. Half a decade you've supported a losing team. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> to be fair, they've, they've fallen big time. It's, it's quite sad. Thank you.